It is good to see all of you here again tonight. I appreciate your presence, and uh, I'm glad to see another uh, full house. And uh, we even have some people in the amen seat tonight. Um, Jeremiah, that's what I was going to tell you. You can't sit there unless you're going to do it. So if you don't plan on doing it, just move yourself back. So <laughs> no, it's good to have uh, Jeremiah as a friend, and it's good to have so, uh, so many of you I, I know before and, and known in other places, and uh, thank you for uh, coming and supporting this meeting. Uh, with all the people sitting all the way up to the front, usually those first rows are the last to be taken, and we have, you know, a, a row, you know, up front. It reminded me of the story about a guy who was, uh, well, the church was having a gospel meeting, and uh, the preacher wasn't all that good. And there was a visitor who had come for the very first time, and um, there wasn't any seats, and so the usher brought him all the way to the front and sat the lady down and said, ma'am, I, I just want you to know that we have a guest speaker. Uh, our regular preacher is, well, he's much better than this guy that you're going to hear tonight. Come back next week and you can hear him, but uh, we're glad you're here. You know, he was just trying to lessen the blow, and she said, young man, do you know who I am? And he said, no. He said, I'm the preacher's mother, the, the guy in the meeting. And he thought for a second, and he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And he said, good, and he ran. <laughs> but anyway, we're glad you're here uh, tonight. Um, you know, uh, several years ago, um, we had some Thursday night classes at Carnes. Uh, the, the School of Preaching had some uh, classes in the evenings for adults, anybody in the community. We advertised it, and we were studying the book of Acts. And, and uh, in this particular uh, quarter of a study, we had like five preachers from denominational churches come and attend those classes. And they were very complimentary, and they enjoyed the time together. In fact, they were so uh, pleased with what you know we talked about in those classes. One of the guys came to me after uh, class one night and said, I wish you could come and preach at my church. Would you preach for us? And I said, absolutely, I will. You know, that's an opportunity to go talk to people about Jesus. And so I said, yes, and I went to my elders, and they said, that's fine, go preach the truth. But as soon as I said yes, then my next thought was, oh, what am I going to preach? You know, what am I going to say? What, I'm, I'm going to have one opportunity to preach to people. What am I going to talk about? Uh, these people were religious. It, it was my Areopagus moment, I guess you could say. Do you remember uh, in Acts chapter 17, Paul had come to Athens and he stood on Mars Hill or the Hill of Ares, Areopagus, and he looked out and he saw idols to every kind of deity you can imagine. What's he going to say to those people who were gathered to hear him? Um, that was uh, Paul's moment, and uh, he delivered an excellent sermon in Acts chapter 17. And what I shared with those folks on that day when I was uh, given the opportunity to preach for them is what I'm going to share with you tonight. Because it's not just a lesson for those folks down the road. It's a lesson that we need to embrace and make sure that we're doing uh, the right thing. 
Have you ever heard the expression, well, or maybe you've come into a community, I don't know if you have something here, like do you have a, like a, a community sign uh, where you have like Kiwanis and Lions Club and, and all these like little different signs. And there's almost always, whenever you see that, there's one that says, attend the church of your choice. You, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen those? Um, I, I went home one time back to West Virginia and I was visiting at my parents and I was reading a local, they had a little local newspaper and I read this religious article uh, by one of the religious leaders in the community. I don't remember who he was. I don't remember what his article about was about, but I remember the last sentence in his article. And it said this, and I quote, attend the church of your choice this week and feel good about it. Well, I got to thinking about that. And the, you know what I'm convinced of? I, I am convinced that that man doesn't even believe what he said. He doesn't believe that. I know he doesn't. Uh, a, a few years ago, I was asked to speak at, uh, well, at Fried Hardeman on the topic. I don't know how they assign these topics, but I had satanic ritualism. I don't know, you know. And so I'm trying to do research, which was kind of funny because I was trying to do research. My father-in-law loved to read, and, and he would go to the library, and everybody knew him, and, and he was constantly down there. And I told him, I've got to speak on this, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, like, the satan, you know, books on Satanism and stuff. And he said, go down to the library with me. And so we got there, and we went up to the desk, and they're having this conversation. He's immediately recognized, and, and uh, he said, this is my son-in-law. He's looking for a book. Maybe you can help him out. And she said, well, what would you like? And I said, do you have the satanic Bible? She looked at me kind of funny and then looked at him and he looked like he was embarrassed to death because, you know, he was so, uh, but it was awkward. I, I went into bookstores in the mall back in the day when everybody went to the mall and, and I waited for like everybody to get away from the counter. And then I would go up and say, do you have the book of Satan and, or the, the satanic Bible? And, you know, again, they give you this look. I was telling the youth group about it and, and what a hard time I had getting my hands on the satanic Bible. And they said, oh, you should have told us. There are, we've got several copies on the shelf in the school library. You probably couldn't take a, a Bible to school with you, but they had several copies of the satanic Bible. Um, but there was, uh, uh, you know, the satanic Bible and the satanic rituals and so forth. But here's my point. The satanic religion, it, that's a religion. There's a church of Satan. Anton LaVey used to be the high priest of the church of Satan. They have a, a religious structure. We take the Lord's Supper. They take the Black Mass. Uh, they observe the Black Mass. We have the Ten Commandments. They have the nine satanic statements. You know, it, there's parallels, parodies of Christianity in that. So the guy said, attend the church of your choice and feel good about it. What about that one? See, he doesn't believe that, does he? He would say, oh, well, no, and I don't, I don't mean a church like that. Well, what about a church that doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus? You know, there are churches that believe and teach that Jesus was the first thing that God created. He's not God. He's not deity. He was created just like you were created, but he was created first. 
What about a church that believes that? Well, I'm not talking about churches that deny the deity of Jesus either. Um, see, he's going to back off that statement. Uh, what about a church that will have two guys, young guys, knock on your door and say, let, let me tell you or introduce you to another testament of Jesus Christ besides the Bible? They have a book that is supposedly revealed by God. Well, I'm not talking about that kind of church either. Do you see what I'm saying? This man said, attend the church of your choice and feel good about it. It doesn't matter where you go, just go. It reminds me of my daughter was a governor scholar in Kentucky. It was it just and she went off to to college while she was a senior in high school. They did like a summer program for a month or two. And and when they, that program was over, we went up, they had some kind of ceremony and they were selling T-shirts. And I remember one of the T-shirts said, um, it doesn't matter what you think, just think. And I thought, what have we put our daughter into this, this past month or two? Um, that's terrible advice. It, it does matter what you think. And um, it, it matters where you go to church. Listen, would we not agree that attend the church of your choice is poor advice? What I think we could agree on is this attend the church of God's choice. I think we can agree with that. I don't think anybody would object to that. And so that's what I want to talk about. Here's my problem. What is the church of God's choice? And how do I find out where it is? And is there one here? And are we that church of God's choice? I want you to ask yourself this, just like I wanted those folks that I preached to a few years ago to ask themselves. Do you think that present day religion, present day what people call Christianity, do you think that that is what God had in mind when Jesus said, I'm going to build a church? Do you think that what God had in mind is that you would come to a community and say, um, where's the church meet? And they say, well, which flavor do you want? Because if you want these folks, they meet down on 3rd Street. And if you want this kind, they meet over here. And if you want that kind, well, they meet over there. Is what God had in mind all these different groups, different brands, wearing different names, teaching different doctrines, worshiping in different locations, all vying for people that come into the community. Is that what God had in mind? I would say it's not, but I don't want you to take my word for it because that's part of the problem. People just take people's word for things. I want you to see what does the Bible say? Is that the will of God? Is the present state of religion where you can go into a town and you've got a group meeting over here and a group meeting over here and a group meeting over here, and it's not because of the size of their buildings. They've outgrown and they're, meet, they're meeting in different places because they believe different things and they practice different things and they can't get along together. That's why they're divided up. Is that what God takes pleasure in? Well, I told you my opinion. 
but let's go to the Word of God and see what the Bible says about the present state of religion. Let's start in John chapter 17. If you have your Bible, open it to John 17. And Jesus, uh, you know, sometimes we talk about the Lord's Prayer and we often say, well, that's that prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We call that the Lord's Prayer, but maybe more appropriately so, we might call John 17 the Lord's Prayer. See, that prayer that Jesus prayed that begins with our Father who art in heaven was a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Pray in this way. But in John 17, we have an actual prayer of the Lord. This is one he prayed, not instructional, teaching the disciples how to pray. This is one that when he got down on his knees and lifted up his prayer to God, this is what he prayed. And he began by praying for himself. Father, help me to glorify you. Help me to do the right thing. I need your strength. I need. He prayed for the disciples. Um, that he had hand chosen and selected. He then begins to pray for them and, and for their courage and strength and that they would do what, what he called them to do. And then he prays for you and, and for me. What? I, are you in the Bible? Well, yeah, you are. And Jesus prayed for you. Listen to what he says in John chapter 17 and in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. He's talking about his disciples that he picked, those hand-selected. But he said, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their words. That's you. That's me. Why do you, how do you know about Jesus? Because the words of these inspired men was put down in a book and we read it and we have come to faith in Jesus. So Jesus said, I'm not just praying for these guys that are right here with me right now, but I, Lord, I'm praying for people who are going to hear their word and come to faith in me. And that's us. So what was it that Jesus prayed for you specifically and for me? Look at verse 21, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world might believe that you sent me. Jesus' prayer for 21st century people who come to faith in him is that they would be one, not divided, not split up in different sects and different brands. He he prayed that they be one just as he was and his father were one. All right, that's the will of God. That's what his desire for his church is, that they be one. Let's look a little bit further. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You remember as Paul writes to the Corinthians, he had received word from someone in the house of Chloe that there were divisions among the brethren at Corinth, and he was rather upset about that. He, and so he says, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Do you see the urgency of this and the importance? This isn't like, well, you know, if you guys get around to it, why don't you try to do better? He is begging them by the name or the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. 
but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. So here's what Paul says. He's an inspired apostle. And you know what he says? He says exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want you to be one like I am one with the Father. And when Paul writes, he says, I, I don't want there to be any divisions among you. I want you all to speak the same thing, to be of the same mind and of the same judgment. Be together. Flip on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just a few chapters over, and look at what it says in verse 25. There should be no, the New King James says, schism in the body, but that the members should be or should have the same care for one another. The word schism means division. There should be no division in the body of Christ. Well, that's what's been preached, right? Jesus said, be one. Paul said, be the same mind, same judgment. Speak the same thing. Then he says again in chapter 12, verse 25, there should be no schism, division in the body of Christ. And now come over to Ephesians chapter 4. Do you remember what he says in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6? There's one body. One spirit, even as you're called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Did you see what else? He listed seven ones there, and did you catch what they were? One of them was there is one body. The body's the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. That's what he's talking about. There's one church. Just in the same sense that there's one God and one Lord and one spirit and one hope. There's one body of Christ. So let's go back to my original question. I know what I see in the present day religious world. I, I see a church on this corner and they have a sign out front and it identifies them as people who believe this doctrine. And then you go down the street and there's a church on this corner and they have a sign that identifies them as teaching a different doctrine. And we can do that a dozen times in our communities. I know what it's like in Knoxville and in Carnes, and I'm pretty sure, in fact, I've driven around enough in Cookville to know it's the same way here. You got churches all over the place teaching different things, calling themselves by different names, and they're divided not because, well, we just outgrew our building and so we had spillover, spillover over here. We're divided because we don't agree. Now, to my question, is that what God intended? According to what we just read, the answer to that is no. He intends that we be one and united, speaking the same thing, being of the same mind and the same judgment. So if the present state of religion is not what God intended when he set it up, then what are we going to do about it? Is there any, are we hopeless? Are we doomed to meet God and say, yeah, about that church thing, we just didn't do that right. I hope that doesn't matter. I don't want to do that. Is there something that we can do to correct what apparently through the ages we've gotten wrong? The answer to that is yes. And that's what I want to tell you for the rest of the lesson, I, I want to share with you, how, how do we do it? How do we get back to what God's original intent was? 
Can we, living in the 21st century, go back and just be New Testament Christians? Can we just be that church that you read about in Scripture? The answer is yes. But how do I know when I find it? You know, I, I like science fiction. Uh, my wife doesn't like science fiction very much. She's like, she's too um, realistic or something. And she'll say, that can't happen. You know, I know it's science fiction. But H.G. Uh, Wells, you remember the movie, The Time Machine? I love that movie. It's cheesy. You know, the graphics are terrible. He, he makes this uh, little chair thing, and there's this lever that he pulls back, and his thing spins behind him, and he goes back in time or forward in time. I just, I can get lost in that stuff, you know, just thinking about it. And, but imagine we have H.G. Wells' time machine. So we jump in it, and we go back, because here's, we've got a purpose. I, I shift that thing back, and I land in around 33 or so A.D., the beginning of the church, whatever that was, 30 A.D., something along that line. And it's Pentecost. It's the beginning of the church. And my intent is to find the apostle Peter and ask him what denomination he is, because I want to be the same one that he was, right? So I, I, I shove it back, and, and I get out, and, and there's this guy walking down the road, and it's got to be Peter, because his fingers are all puckered from baptizing so many people. And so I say, are you Peter? Yeah, I'm Peter. Well, man, it's great to see you. I'm from the, well, you won't understand it. I just have a question. Will you answer a question for me? I'm dying to know, what denomination are you? Because I want to be what you are. What do you think Peter would say to that? What, what do you mean, what denomination am I? Do you mean, am I a Christian? Yes. But I, I'm not sure I understand what, what denomination. Well, you know, like what brand are you? Are you a this kind of Christian or that kind of Christian? And I think Peter would scratch his head and say, I'm not really sure I understand what you're talking about. I mean, today the Lord inaugurated his kingdom, his church, and, and, and 3,000 people entered it, and we're the body of Christ. But I don't know about this brand stuff. What, what do you mean? Okay, you don't get it. I'll just bump it forward 30 years, and I'll end up in Corinth, and I run into the apostle Paul. And I say, Paul, you don't know this, but man, you are my hero. I've read everything that, well, you're to write. Uh, I've read it all. Man, I, I'm a fan of your work, and, and you are such a good writer. Could, could you answer a question? I'm from the future, and everybody, man, we're, we're dying to know. What denomination are you? Because we want to be the same one that you are. What, what do you think Paul would say? Wait. You say you've read my writings? Have you not read what I wrote in 1 Corinthians? That there be no divisions among you, that we speak the same thing, be the same mind and same judgment? Uh, what about that writing? Did you not read what I said about there's one body just as there's one Lord? Did you not read how that I said that there should be no schism or division in the body of Christ? You see, if we went back in time, we would find those first century Christians knew nothing of denominational divisions. 
They knew nothing of let's divide because we teach something that somebody else doesn't and they teach something different from us. That's not God's will. What we have to do is be the church of the New Testament. But, and it can be done, but it'll take courage. I studied with a young man one time. I was in college. And I was kind of fulfilling an obligation in a personal work class that I had. And, and I took a friend of mine, and, and we went through a, a personal work study. And when we got done, he was left with a decision to make. And I'll never forget, we were sitting in my dad's study. And I looked across at him, and I said, so what about a gym? And he said, well, you're right. You know, I can't argue with what you've taught. I, you're right about that. But I, I can't do anything about it. You see, my mom is a such and such. And it would break her heart if I changed my beliefs. You see, if you want to be a New Testament Christian, it's going to take courage. You're going to have to stand up and say, I love the truth more than I love my mom and dad. And I want to serve him and God, and I want to follow truth more than I want, you know, family ties. And, and, and that's hard for some people. Listen, I know there are some people here tonight that have made that decision, and it was hard to make. Because you were left with the choice, do I remain in the religion of my forefathers and my family, or do I follow truth that I've discovered? And you've chosen to follow truth, and I don't know how hard that would be, but I know it's a difficult decision. But it can be done, and some of you are a testimony that it can be done. But how do I know? How do I know when I find it? That's the question. And maybe... We can illustrate it this way. Here's what has happened, and you've probably heard this illustration, but, you know, if, if baseball had become illegal, if you play baseball, you're going to go to jail. I'm a Pirates fan, and usually the way they play baseball, they probably belong in jail. They're not very good. But um, let's suppose baseball becomes outlawed, and if you get caught, there's serious ramifications for it. And so the game goes underground, and let's suppose it goes underground for like two millennium, 2,000 years. Nobody really has played baseball except in underground, hidden situations. And in that time, they have forgotten some of the rules or, or things have gotten changed just a little bit. Uh, 2,000 years later, you come across a baseball game and you find out that when they hit the ball, they run to third first. You know, they, run, they round the bases clockwise instead of counterclockwise. And you find out that they have 10 men in the field. You're only supposed to have nine, but they've got 10 because the outfield is so big. And then you found out that they have four strikes and three balls. They're just doing the best they know how. It's been handed down, handed down, handed down, handed down, and there's been some confusion along the way, and that's the best they know baseball to be. But suppose 2,000 years later, you're in some ruins, and you dust off this book, and it says the official rules of baseball. 
and you open it up and it says, hey, hey guys, we're supposed to run the bases this direction, not this way. Because it says so right here. And you know what else it says? It's three strikes and four balls. That's what it says. And in this rule book, we're only supposed to field nine guys. What if those people who were intent on restoring baseball made those changes, even though they're 2,000 years removed from the last time it was played properly? What would they be playing? They'd be playing baseball in its purity. Listen, if you can understand that, then you can understand what we can do to restore what Jesus had in mind in the beginning. Because Christianity was outlawed for a while. It did go underground for a while. And if you were caught practicing it, you would be put to death. And and so during the years that transpired, there have been changes and innovations and, and people have forgotten what the rule book said. And 2,000 years have passed, and what we're doing today doesn't exactly look like what they did back then. But what if somebody dusted off their Bible and said, guys, it says he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Why are we baptizing infants? Oh, guys, guess what? It also says the baptism is a burial. Romans 6 and verse 3. So why are we sprinkling water on people? And you know what else I read? It says it was upon the first day of the week the disciples came together to break bread. So why don't we do that? Do you see what I'm saying? If we go back to the rule book and just incorporate what we have dropped off and expunge what we have picked up through the ages, and if we're doing what the book says... What are we doing even though it's 2,000 years later? We're practicing New Testament Christianity, undenominational, pre-denominational Christianity. A few years ago, I had to speak in Alaska. I didn't know anybody in Alaska. I flew into Anchorage Airport. How am I going to get connected with a person in Anchorage that I don't know, and I don't even know what he looks like, and he doesn't know what I look like? Well, I'll tell you how we did it. We, we gave marks of identification. I said, okay, we're, I'm, I'm going to be arriving on a such and such flight, and I'll be the one that I'm 6'6", six, six, I have glasses, I have brown hair, extremely good looking. Um, no, I don't want to ruin my, I don't want to ruin my illustration here. Uh, I, you know, I, I gave all these characteristics and as soon as I got off the plane and got out there in that area, this guy says, Steve, and we connected and it wasn't a problem at all because there were marks of identification. How do we know what the New Testament church is today in the same way? Look at the marks of identification in your Bible. Does a church practice what the Bible says? You know, what what do we look like? If we match up with the Word of God, we are what they were. And, And that's how we decide. 
And that's what I want to challenge you today. I, I don't want you to assume, man, this is a good lesson for my neighbors. I'm going to get a copy and make sure they hear it. I'm talking to us, too. Because maybe there could be a person or two here who is religiously what you are because it's what you've been brought up to believe. That's not good enough. You need to open God's word and search it out and make sure that you are New Testament Christian. I heard this illustration too. What, what if a Bible... Uh, there's a there's a, a chest that washes ashore on some deserted island. Guy opens up the chest and inside of it is a Bible. He's never seen a Bible before. He doesn't know anything about Jesus, but he begins to read and and he reads about the creation. He reads about the fall of man. He reads about a promise of a redeemer that would come. And he watches that thread of, of genealogy that brings us eventually to the New Testament. And, and Jesus appears on this earth. And he's the long-awaited Messiah. And, and he reads how that he gave his life for us. And he reads the plan of salvation. And so these people gather together as a group and, and they listen to these readings and they decide to do what the book says and, and they believe in Jesus. They, they decide to turn from their sins. They decide to be baptized just like the Bible says. Question, when they obey the gospel, when they're baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, what denomination are they? None. They're not a denomination. They're Christians and Christians only. And if you can do that on a deserted island in the 21st century, why can't you do it in Cookville, Tennessee in the 21st century? It just takes the same commitment to follow the word of God, to do nothing beyond it, to do nothing less than it, just to obey it and respect its authority. And when we do that, we can be the church of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, is the church of which you are a member that specific body that you read about in the Bible? If it's not, you need to get out of that because the Lord wants us to be united in his body. And he doesn't want us to be divided up into different sects. If it is, then you need to stay in it. And you need to work in it and promote it and try to lead others to it. Listen, I, I'm not interested in promoting brands of religion. I hear people all the time say, what are you? You know, and they want you to say, I'm a this and I'm a that and stuff. Listen, brands of religion, it's like people treat Christianity today like, well, you got Post Raisin Bran or Kellogg's Raisin Bran. What's your preference? You know, we got brands. I don't read of brands in scripture. I read of Christians. And while we're saying that, listen, I don't believe in a Church of Christ brand either. I don't want to be a church of Christer. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I'm a church of Christ. Some people say it that way. Or I'm a church of Christer. You, 
when we do that, we're adding to the division that other people, they say, well, I'm a this and I'm a that. Well, I don't want to be a church of Christer. I don't want to be any other kind of brand that, that segments the body of Christ. You, want, you know what I want to be? I want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a God. I, I don't want to be a church of Christ preacher. Don't identify me as that. I'm a gospel preacher. That's what I want to be. I want to call people not to a brand name. I want to call them to Christ and to his church. And how we do that is by going back and expunging what I can't read about and adding what I can. And when we have uh, you know, jettisoned these doctrines and practices that I can't read about in Scripture, when we get rid of those things and when we add those things that we've been ignoring for all these years and we put them back in, you know what we are? We're New Testament Christians. It's that simple to do. We can do that. We can be the church of the New Testament. And if our desire is only to be uh, a, a part of a brand, like if this congregation just wants to be a brand Listen, last one out tonight, flip the lights off, lock up, and don't ever come back. Because the brands are what Jesus prayed against. He said, I want you to be one. We don't have a right to exist if all we're offering is another flavor of Christianity. But if we're offering the purity and simplicity of a relationship with Jesus in his church, then we've got work to do. And let's call people to that and not some denominational structure. Again, this is for our neighbors to evaluate and this is for us to evaluate too. We need to go home and make sure that we are the church that we read about in the Bible. I'll tell you what the Bible does say. If we're interested in doing what the Bible says, it says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Nothing about an altar call, nothing about praying through, nothing about a sinner's prayer. He tells us to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. You know, when they did that in the first century, that made them, the Lord added them to his church. And if we'll do it in the 21st century, you know what the Lord's gonna do? He's gonna add you to his church. It's that simple. Let's just do what they did and will be what they were. If you haven't done that tonight, I encourage you to do that. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you want to come back and you want to be stronger, we'll pray with you to that end as well. If you'll come as we stand together and sing.